You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is To Stir With Love with Rabbi Yitzchok Kolokowski, Tales from Prison. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and uh, I know that I heard from many of our listeners who are wondering why last week we did not have an episode. It seems like people have been looking forward to listening to us, Rabbi Yitzchok. However, um, uh, you had a great excuse, and that was that uh, not only are you a uh, head of the chaplains in Waymark Prison in Pennsylvania, you are also a, uh, I guess what we would call for better, for lack of a better term, you are like a, a justice of the peace. You're someone who is also qualified to perform weddings in a number of different states, Pennsylvania, I believe. As you are as well. So it's not, it's not, uh, <laughs> okay. not that special. It's just, I have to do it. Okay. Right. I should maybe, uh, you know, especially as lucrative as podcasting isn't, uh, I should probably look into the idea of offering my services. And I know that you have performed weddings of, uh, of Muslim couples and you perform weddings of, uh, of Jewish couples, obviously, as well. But even uh, couples, I think, of, of, of you t- correct me if I'm wrong, but of various uh, religions, of maybe even Buddhists or, um, and, uh, and Christians, because you are uh, empowered to perform a civil ceremony. And uh, as a man of religion, as a man of authority, I'm sure that you add quite a bit. And that was the reason why you were not able to uh, be here last week. And it got me thinking, Yitzchak, about uh, prison, about your role as not only a chaplain, but also as a person who performs weddings. So I, I know the answer is going to be yes, but tell us a little bit about you have performed uh, weddings in prison itself between uh, a prisoner and, and, and somebody from the outside, correct? You have done that, correct? A, a few dozen times. Uh-huh. And um, when you're doing that, are, are, you know, were these people, the people that you married, let's assume that I know most of you work with male prisoners. So the, the, the spouses, if they were female, uh, were they mostly people that these prisoners had a previous connection to and were there, it was their girlfriend from the past? Uh, I, I assume so. I don't usually ask too many questions because I, you know, a lot of people say, well, why are you doing this? You know, you're jeopardizing people's uh, lives doing something like this. And I said, you know, they're two adults, consenting adults. If they want to do something stupid like this, it's it's not my business to try to stop them if uh, they're willing to. <laughs> Now, you're, the reason why you say it's stupid is because some of your the, the inmates that you have uh, helped tie the knot with, they're in there for a long time, right? Uh, and, and... Generally not. I, I uh, Well, first of all, I've stopped doing this since I started working for the DOC about two years ago. But I can remember a lot of – oftentimes it's people who are short-term in prison and they really need to be married legally in order to secure their housing for their parole – uh, because uh, this way they can move to another state. They can only move out of state to be with a family member. So if they're legally family members by being married, that's a major reason that I've heard why they want to get married um, for, for their parole. I remember the first time I ever did a jail wedding when I was living down in Virginia. I believe it was before I even started working as a prison chaplain when I was the Rub in the Young Israel in Richmond. And the reason I started doing weddings for non-Jewish couples, uh, you know, I, I won't do anything that violates halacha. I won't do an intermarriage and I won't do a wedding between two men or things like that. But 
in any event, well, intermarriage between a Jew and a non-Jew, I'll do, like you said, a, a Christian and a Muslim. I've had quite a few weddings like that or, or other similar religions. Or, But in the end, the uh, the first wedding I did, I remember it was in the, I believe it was the state prison in Goochland County, uh, Virginia, down the road, a few miles down outside of Richmond in a rural area, not too far out of the city, maybe 10, 20 minutes out of from where I was living uh, within the city limits of where the shul was. Um, actually, I lived just outside the city limits and the shul was in the city limits. But in any event, um, I remember, you know, just receiving, I was doing these weddings just really as a fundraiser for the shul kind of, because the shul said they couldn't afford to pay me. And I was thinking of creative ways to make money. And I found out I could do this. So I was like, why don't I? And then, <laughs> At first, I was just giving the money to the shul so they could continue to pay my salary uh, a little bit. And I remember going out and doing this wedding. And the the inmate was an African-American young man. He looked kind of scary, I'll be honest. He looked like a real hoodlum figure and very pretty girl uh, marrying him. Uh, happened to be a, a Caucasian girl. And uh, we did this ceremony in the chapel there. It was an old church, actually. And it was just a very quick thing. The I do signing the papers. And she was talking about how much she loves him. And uh, and then when I mentioned to some people, uh, some of my uh, community members who I did, one of them mentioned, you know, uh, considering that it was an interracial marriage in jail, they said, you know, if if I would have done this maybe 60 years ago, I would find I would wind up in jail in the South in the old days for performing this wedding. I see. You know, well, that's that's, the, that was the irony of that story was that, you know, here I, I, I'm. I would say Baruch Hashem, how far we yeah. have progressed where we can oh, have too, where we could have a, a chesidish young man uh, yeah. performing a chasna of an African, an African-American man and a, a white woman. In a prison, I think that that yeah. really indicates how many of these fictitious uh, barriers uh, needed to come down. And thank God yeah. you, could, you could, talking about to stir with love, that's definitely a, a love story there. And, 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 and bringing and, love uh, into the prison, yeah. yeah what, what would you, but let's talk about love in the prison. Um, you know, we, we, we have heard about uh, conjugal visits. We did a quick search before we started recording. And we saw that in uh, 1993, you know, not that long ago, um, there was, it wasn't, it was pretty common. You had 17 or uh, 17 states where um, visitors were, the wife was allowed, let's say if it was the male was the prisoner uh, to meet and they would give them, I guess, a special cabin or a place to be, to have privacy and to be involved and, and become intimate. And, and uh, it's now dwindled down to six. Um, I saw one of the, the reasons behind that is, um, well, the reasons why people are promoting it, because we, as you say, the prisoner should have some place to go back to. Can you imagine being married um, and then completely cut off because of the husband being in prison? And what what do you expect that life to be like? You need to have some time to be, you can't just visit your, your spouse and then stick your hands up on that wall, you know, on that glass and and salivate over each other. There has to be some time to really be involved. And maybe that's the glue that could help the person come back. Um, but you say that in, in your prison there in Pennsylvania, they do not allow conjugal visits, do they? No, absolutely not. And it's, 
it is an issue that sometimes uh, comes up. It's something that's been discussed, particularly with the whole issues of inmates getting married and how do you get married and and issues along those lines. Um, And we often do have inmates getting married in the prison. um, And I, and sometimes they ask me for advice and technically I would be allowed to do that, but the, my supervisor asked me not to. So, and I kind of can see why that's wise, because if I say yes to one person, but then if, for example, if it's two men want to get married and I have to say no, I could get into some trouble. So if I just have a blanket, no policy, that's fine. But so they, and they'll often get married in the visiting room and the visiting room in our prison is not behind the glass. Like you see in movies, I I've visited people like that in, in prisons and in jails, but in general, the way that the visiting rooms are set up is that you, you're not, you're, it's kind of like almost like movie theater seating or, or church pews or something. You're sitting next to each other, but you're not facing each other in general and so you do have contact visits where you could hold hands with your wife, give a little kiss. But a big problem that they have is that some people just don't care and they will, you know, uh, so they, they don't care whether or not they have privacy. And then there are other people visiting, including young children and, and inmates often get in trouble because they want to try to, to uh, have a little bit more intimacy without any privacy. Uh, they they get in trouble because of that. There's a lot of stories so, about that that I don't so, have to get into. Yeah, well, I'm sure we can imagine or we shouldn't imagine. Tell me the um, the, but you you also bring up this interesting point that there's especially in terms of men marrying each other or uh, people of the same sex marrying each other. Is it allowed in Waymart? In other words, if prisoners meet each other there and they would like to create a bond with each other in a mar- in a way to be married, can that happen? According under in, in terms of Pennsylvania law and in the prison, can there be a marriage between two? Uh, you know, obviously, outside of prison, two men can get married in Pennsylvania. Can it happen between two inmates who are who are in who are in the behind bars, so to speak? This, this has been a discussion, and technically, there's really nothing we can do to stop them from legally getting married. Um, and especially in Pennsylvania, the laws are very interesting because. You don't need an officiant to get married. If you get a regular license, you need an officiant to be married. And if the officiant is a clergy person who's not, who's not of your same faith, that clergy person must serve a regularly established congregation. So I'm the assistant rabbi in my shul, so I serve a regularly established congregation, and that's why I can do weddings in Pennsylvania for non-Jewish couples as well. As far as the... Um, as far as uh, there's another option because Pennsylvania was founded by members of the Quaker church, which have no clergy. And so therefore Pennsylvania gives an option of the self-uniting license where, where although the regular license in Pennsylvania, unlike New New York, New Jersey, where you need witnesses to perform for, to, you need, you know, the minister and two witnesses in New York or New Jersey to get married in Pennsylvania, which is the same in Virginia, just, the officiant signs and there is no place for witnesses to sign but if you want to get a different type of license called a self-uniting license or a quaker license then you just get two witnesses to sign it and then it doesn't matter then if you wanted to hire someone who was ordained by universal life church who would be legal in new jersey or new york but not in pennsylvania well they could sign as a witness to a self-uniting license so there's really nothing we could do to stop two men from getting a license and 
getting two people to sign as witnesses and mailing it back in and then uh, or hiring an officiant to sign. The only thing is, is that they would not get any special rights based on being married. Just the same, like you could have a, a husband. We have husbands and wives in the prison system who, you know, the wife is obviously in a different prison than the husband is in. We do have one prison that's co-ed, which is a boot camp, which is an accelerated program, but I, they still keep the men and women separate. But most likely what would happen, because they would have, you know, record of their marriage is at, at the very least, they would make sure that they're not in the same unit. They certainly would not be cellmates. And uh, if they could manage to it, they would probably, you know, again, they're, they're legally married according to the laws of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, but they would probably send one of the the partners in that relationship to another prison. Although what I have heard before my time in Waymart, particularly we talk about the Native American community, there have been that one guy who I talked about, uh, who was the, the cop, who was kind of the, the guru of their community, he uh, he officiated at some weddings between okay. between two inmates in the yard. Oh, uh, obviously, not legal according to the laws of Pennsylvania because they didn't obtain a marriage license. But he performed some kind of a Native American ceremony for for two men. That's a great uh, con- great continue- continuity to our previous episodes of uh, of the disgraced uh, cop who became a Lenape uh, Indian chief. So that's a uh, Good throwback, good shout out to one of our previous episodes, which you can listen to. So it sounds like it's pretty, it's quite complex there. You have, uh, you know, you have couples that, um, that, uh, go through a, a conventional marriage of the wife being outside of prison and to come to the prison to get married. Uh, you have inmates possibly, which there's not much you can do about, although it's discouraged. Um, let me ask you one last question on this topic. What about uh, people who, um, have this sort of like kick about, you know, getting married to a prisoner. In other words, it's not someone that they know before, but the the prisoner gets a letter from some uh, some groupie who uh, who doesn't even know him, and all of a sudden they start writing letters to each other, and then they decide to uh, they decide to tie the knot. And maybe the chances of them really living together are slim, but there's something that uh, somehow the other party gets from having a connection to this, or maybe even vicariously into the life, this, this, this dramatic and dangerous life the prisoner has led. Have you ever had marriages like that where they, where they basically didn't know each other before the incarceration and they met either online or through, through letters or through telephone calls? Did you ever have anything like that? I know these stories are popular in popular culture. And, you, you know, I know uh, even uh, there was an episode of Seinfeld along those lines where George was dating a girl in, in prison. But I uh, and I know there are again, there are a lot of true stories like that, but I have not that I know of encountered again when I used to do a lot of weddings in the in the in the Westchester County Jail. I, I, I you know, came across these people, you know, on the various websites where they were looking for an officiant and they asked me to do it. And then the, for a while, the chaplain, you know, would just pretty much every Tuesday I'd come down and do a wedding or two at the County jail. And, you know, uh, the Koblenzer Rebbe is not the only Rebbe who's a, a chaplain in the prison. There, there's a, uh, what's the, the Rebbe, uh, Rabbi Horowitz in, from Muncie. He's called the Jikova Rebbe. He's a chaplain in several prisons, both state and county in New York, including 
in Westchester. And one time after I had done about 10 or 20 of these weddings in the county jail with the help of the uh, Protestant chaplain there, I got a call from Rabbi Horowitz, you know, what's the days with, you know, because he first he asked, you know, what what kind of rabbi is this doing these weddings? Echter rabbi? He said, no, no. So I, I spoke to him, I called him. I was speaking to him in Yiddish and just, you know, discussing things. And then he said, you know, someone said the rabbi wanted to know why I'm doing weddings in the jail. And he said, oh, now he put two and two together who I was calling. And he said, uh, you would do weddings for, for, for Yiddish Kinder? Was, uh, I said, no, that's, uh, I'm, I'm doing for mostly Hispanic couples, you know, something just, uh, just signing some marriage license and making it legal. You know, I put on a suit and tie and, and read a few lines and, and, and sign some papers, you know, that's all I do. I'm, I haven't, he's, I haven't done a, a chuppah and kadushin in, in the prison. I've had requests like in, in my prison now in Waymart, we have some people who are, um, like the uh, Hebrew Israelites, and they asked me to, uh, you know, as a rabbi, if I would perform the wedding. I said I would love to, but my supervisor asked me not to. But if you have your chacham, your rabbi, your elder, whoever, they could certainly do it. Uh, we we do have, but um, I don't know any stories like that. Where, yeah, I, okay, good. That's a very good answer. And uh, most, most, mostly, you know, now that I hear about their people who have been together for a while i know a lot of our our muslim inmates who uh, who are in very committed relationships you know and generally have already been married according to the laws of islam had their nikah ceremony but never had a a uh, legal ceremony those are the ones who want to get married and they often will you know get contacted by an officiant that they find online who charges a ridiculous amount of money for people who don't have money at all and uh, it gets me very upset. And, I've, and like I said, in, in Pennsylvania, you have to serve an actual church or synagogue or something to perform weddings. And this lady, I don't think she really does. And I've been uh, trying to stop her from coming in. And I tell the inmates, I said, first of all, your imam can sign because that's testifying to an Islamic wedding. That you, whether or not he serves a, a masjid, he can he could perform it. And if he does, he certainly can do it. Um, but you can get the self-uniting license where you just have two witnesses sign, and so it's a very easy thing. You're saving them. You're definitely going. You're definitely saving them uh, money and effort and frustration of the, quite a lot of money. I, the I'm bureaucratic, the bureaucratic frustration as yeah, well. Yeah, so, something about what what I get for about four weddings is what this lady's asking for one wedding. So it it, it upsets me a lot that uh, yeah, they're well. taking advantage of these people. And I I usually give a little discount for a prison wedding because I know they don't have any money. You know. Well, in our sub, in our uh, subject notes, as uh, on all of these podcasts, people can know how to contact you in uh, in that way and discover what it is the rates that you charge. Um, you know, I, I think that you know when we talk about um, reclamation, when we talk about change, when we talk about uh, allowing prisoners to feel like they are human beings, it would seem that this is something that uh, is of quite of a significance, and therefore. Uh, should probably, as you say, be encouraged, but with uh, with caution, especially as um, yeah, especially as clearly prison life might do quite a bit to these grooms, and when they come out, things might be a lot different than they were before, and uh, they probably need a lot of counseling as far as this goes, and maybe like all all married couples, 
but uh, I can somehow see problems down the line more in this. You know, when we talk about, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's switch gears here to, uh, you know, our favorite part of the show, so to speak, where, uh, we throw out some, some movies, some old movies and maybe, well, maybe even as, uh, uh, maybe that, that are, uh, can be classified as somewhat recent, but at least, you know, uh, that have to do with this topic. So what's on your list, uh, of, of, now, again, let me just say before you give your list, almost, you know, weddings happen in so many movies. Weddings are so much a part of life. The idea of finding every, every movie almost uh, has some sort of love story in it. At least 50 or 60% of movies have uh, some sort of man and woman story. And clearly marriage is sometimes somewhere at the end of that story or the beginning of that story. So, you know, it's, it's almost like, of course, every movie has a marriage in it or something like that. But let's talk about things a little bit off the beaten path uh, that somehow ring true to you as some sort of good message about marriage So what are, or, or, or weddings in general. So what are some of well, your, your wedding movies? I don't know about good me- message, but more or less the, uh, the interesting types of uh, sometimes the failures that, that happen, as particularly when you talk about prison and comparing prison and marriage, I... I happened to have been watching the Three Stooges the other day, and there was one a, a 1942 short called Three Smart Saps, which actually combines both prison and marriage, not together. But I was like, oh, these are my two things, and there are quite a lot of marriage references throughout the Three Stooges that have been, you know, I, I understand Emil Sitka used to uh, be invited to people's weddings to play the the part of the. Uh, Justice of the Peace uh, from the episode called The Brideless Groom, where he said, hold hands, you love birds. And he made some extra money on the side just showing up at people's weddings and <laughs> and, and, and and bringing out his old routine. But there was one, uh, the three smart saps, where actually the, the, the three stooges were engaged to three women who were the daughters of a prison... Uh, a, a uh, the, warden. the warden of the prison, and he had been overthrown, and the local mobsters took over the prison as their gang hideout and put him in prison. Don't do that; you're going to break it. So that was the uh, that that was the uh, and then in the end, you know, they saved it. So that kind of amused me because it it took my two uh, parts of my ministry that I so, welcome. All right, so and, and that's also available. I know that we, you know, uh, we don't want to uh, recommend streaming services here. I know you're a big YouTube person and free services, so you can find that short on uh, on YouTube. The uh, three okay. the, the three saps. What's it called again? Three smart saps. I mean, really? I, I saw it, I saw it on MeTV maybe two weeks ago. But uh, all right, well, that's that's a that's a, a great recommendation. I know that. Uh, you and your family are stooge aficionados, and uh, I think you've told me in the past about your visit to the Stoogeum. What is it called? The Stoogeum? Yeah, the Stoogeum in, in Ambler, Pennsylvania. And they had a lot of actually some of the Jewish aspects of their lives uh, you know, brought out. In, right. Well, in... I, I would also say that, yeah, the Horowitzes, for sure, and the Fines. Uh, yeah. the, three, the three Horowitzes and Fines. So and, sure. and Joe Besser was also Jewish. The only one who wasn't was was Curly Joe Dorita. He was the only yeah. the only Gentile. We don't want to mention him. I think he comes in a. When were those shorts? When did Curly Joe Dorita come in? In nineteen fifty one or fifty two? Nineteen sixty is when Curly Joe came in. He yeah. he replaced Joe Besser, who was generally understood to be the least of the 
well, of the Stooges, curly. but the. Now, I would say that Curly was probably the uh, supreme Stooge in many ways. Oh, yeah. So Curly was the supreme Stooge, <laughs> and that yeah. way, again, without Curly, it doesn't work. I mean, you you, you need Mo to 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 like bang the hammer down, but without. I mean, Without Joe Bruce worked well with the Abbott and Costello, but not as well with the Stooges, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So, but generally, it's definitely a Yiddish, a Yiddish Ostruk. Um, so, yeah. best, the Besser is the Horowitzes, and the Besser Horowitz and fine. So, that's the, and you say also that even in a, a time of social distancing, the Stoogeum in Ambler, Pennsylvania, it probably doesn't have that many people going there. So, you could probably enjoy yourself. I don't think they're opening right now, but they're um, generally it's it's a social distancing place all all the time. When when I was there, we just made an appointment and we showed up. You could check their website. But last I heard, they're not they're not making okay. Movies. Any other wedding? Any other wedding uh, uh, films that you'd like to throw out there? Or you know, I, I I I'm a, I'm a weirdo. I'm into all the sci-fi and horror. We go to Monster Bash in Pittsburgh every year. And uh, and a few other sci-fi uh, conventions of old movies, and there were two that I that I saw. One uh, with Bela Lugosi called "The Corpse Vanishes," where there, Bela Lugosi plays a man who's kidnapping brides at the altar by giving them a flower that causes them to faint because he's trying to get some kind of glands to restore his wife to youth. I think they also did that in an early episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, which has a very interesting segment where in a that t- takes place in a, a barber shop, which is quite entertaining. Okay. And then so, another. So Bella Lugosi basically breaks up these marriages uh, and, uh, and 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 steals these brides. Of course, do they die? He's, they they're dead once Bella Lugosi gets a hold of them. They're they're, they're assumed to be dead when uh, at they're assumed to have died uh, because the flower it's an orchid a special type of orchid that he gives them and it, i guess it makes their heart rate so low that the doctor checks them assumes they're dead and then he has a mortuary van and takes them away but then they disappear before the funeral and they they turn out to i believe they're still alive it's just that he's um he's just taking them although i i could be wrong it's been a little while I hear, since i, I hear it sounds like a sounds like a variant on um on his uh, dracula persona and what was the anything else from the science fiction uh, horror world? Another, there, another. There was one that I just watched this week uh, that I'd seen many times. It was great special effects, pretty good acting. The story doesn't really make that much sense, and the script is a little off, but it's still all in all pretty entertaining. It's Can called, you stop there? It sounds like you're describing 2001: A Space Odyssey, which is one of the well. great classics. <laughs> what you just the words you just used could be could yeah. be. Similarly, uh, imparted on on two thousand and one, which doesn't have any uh, yeah, wedding well, scene. In it. The, but go the ahead. Story, the story makes a little bit more sense than two thousand one, but <laughs> and, 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 uh, it's called the the title is great. It's called "I Married a Monster from Outer Space." And uh, if, you would have, if, you, if you wouldn't have said from outer space, that could be fifty percent of all marriages. So right. I married a monster. But yeah, go ahead. And uh, basically, Gloria Talbot plays the bride um, who her her husband-to-be is kidnapped by an alien right at the beginning of the movie. So they give away the whole thing right at the beginning. It's There's a similar movie, but that's a little bit better played. The story is The Alligator People also talks about, and they're from around the same time. And I think they're both from 20th Century Fox, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, but the I married a monster from outer space. They're both uh, the alligator people is also about a wedding. Um, but it, this one, they um, the aliens kind of invasion of the body snatchers. You know, typical story. Yes. It came from outer space. Takes the same story, but there's several men in the town who the aliens take their bodies as you know, and they are able to use that to disguise themselves. And uh, they that impregnate the uh, earthling women in order to create this new race of, uh, of yeah, because they're, they're alien, planet, alien they're human, planet they're planet, yes, yes. We've, yes, again, that of course was one of the great themes of uh, uh the overreaching re- arc of the X Files, I believe. Uh, yeah. the, the story in the X Files, which, which also... really goes it goes into uh, classical lore. This the the main couple weren't able to get pregnant. That's part of the story. She's going to fertility clinic to try to figure out why they've been married for a year and not able to have children. But eventually, one of her friends does get pregnant, and that's kind of a plot point in the movie. But all throughout, you know, uh, mythology and folklore, you always have the story of the incubus and the succubus, and even to this day, you know, the stories of people being abducted by aliens and. With the whole, again, one doesn't have to go too far. Again, you, you talk about Ridley Scott's classic, really alien, and yeah. really, which is really about impregnation. Really, the alien who puts his, you know, the alien that that goop that uh, that uh, sticks itself to the face of the victim, and then yeah. you know uses the victim as a as a birthing chamber, right, to create. A new breed of monster, which is really, of course, uh, why it's so horrible. Which is really an indicator of how f- the fear we have of, of 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 procreation. Right? Procreation is sort of something growing inside of you, and who knows what that is? Especially when the families are not; they don't know each other, and you can never tell. So, in a way, it sort of taps in to some of the deepest psychological fears of marriage. Which is really when you get married, and now you have your your husband might be this monster that you never knew, and now he's going. To, there's going to be an impregnation, and now there's going to be this new being that is now formed. So in a way, these movies are really reflective of maybe some of the deep psychological uh, fears that almost every marriage and family, uh, beginning of starting of a family, goes into, and uh, maybe that's the reason why the tropes keep on uh, being uh, recycled over and over again. Okay, so quickly, I'm just going to throw out my uh, three. Um, and again, I'm going to stick really, I guess, more in the conventional way, but maybe not. One of them is Preston Surge's great underlooked classic uh, Palm Beach story, which uh, begins with the opening credits uh, at the breakneck pace, where I think that they're playing the, um, the William Tell Overture, and uh, there seems to be some sort of wedding going on, and you don't realize what it is until the very, the very ultimate last shot of the movie. Uh, it's got uh, a great, great wedding scene in the beginning that you're not really sure what it's about, and it becomes clear only the very last uh, 35 seconds of the film. I don't want to spoil it all, but of course it has two of the great, great, great performers. Uh, Preston Sturgis is, uh, uses them uh, in a couple of, one of them in a number of his films, Joel McRae, who's really a wonderful a leading man, uh, really, really shows vulnerability and intelligence, and one of my favorite uh, actresses, Claudette Colbert, uh, who is, uh, I don't think she was bad in anything she ever did. And uh, she is really perfect in this role. And it really uh, talks about Rudy Valley is in it, plus Mary Astor. And it's really about what is marriage? Is marriage about love? Is marriage about um, um, 
settling? Is it about finding someone who can support you? And it really deals with this great conflict between um, the person that you love and the person that can support you and take care of you and take care of you financially. And it really deals also with uh, the, the, the battle and of the uneven battle of the sexes. Great, great film, uh, tremendous dialogue. That is a Palm Beach story. Throw in two other things, you know, as I said. Um, the other film I would throw in is um, Silver Load, which is sort of a, uh, a bargain basement uh, high noon. It has John Payne, who is sort of a bland fellow, but it's got one of the great Hollywood villains, Dan Duryea. And I'm sure you know who Dan Duryea is. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know who Dan Duryea is, right? Yes. Dan Duryea is one of the great, great. I mean, you talk about Jack Palance, and Dan Duryea is really up there with Richard Woodmark and others as a real great menacing. Uh, and he plays a marshal in this film. And it's really an interesting take on how the whole city is about to get married. And all of a sudden the whole city turns against him when aspects of his past become relevant and become put on the table. And it really, again, deals with, can you love even in the face of discovering new things about a person? And Elizabeth Scott, who was also in a lot of B pictures, Elizabeth Scott, uh, she is the wife uh, to be. Of course, the wedding is broken up. Dan Duryea breaks the wedding up. And the rest of the film is really about discovering will, this, will the marriage ever take place? Will the person ever get his, his respect back? Um, throw out uh, one other possibility. Again, it's a much more recent film. I know your wife has scolded me for uh, assuming that you would even be familiar with any films of any recent vintage. Uh, despite... I mean, she knows them. I just don't know. What? She knows them. I just don't know them. Okay your youth was i understand but of course while you were sleeping which sort of helped uh, make um sandra bullock a star which i think is still a, a, a very nice sweet film uh, about a marriage that maybe she would love to happen uh but again you know it does not happen uh the way you think or at least doesn't happen to the person you think and again it's again it's a film that really is a study in what you want and what you need and i mean it, it... You're, you're reminding me of a movie that maybe a little bit lesser movie, but Hal Roach made a musical comedy called Roadshow. And it's a, kind of a similar themes that are ex, uh, discussed there. And also because I work in the mental hospital too, where the, uh, a wealthy man, you know, some, they're trying to uh, marry him off to, to a, a gold brick uh, bride and he pretends to be mentally ill to escape the wedding. And he winds up uh, in the mental hospital and then eventually escaping with a road show and falling in love with, I believe Helen Mack was the early falls in love with, and there's music from Hoagie Carmichael. It's a fun movie road show from 1941. Let's definitely check it out. And the the public domain. Yes. The themes of, but that's part, I think of when we think about films and we think about the idea of marriage, um, you know, it's always a good place to shine the camera back inwardly and see, hmm, what am I doing here? Am I making the right choice? Am I going after my fantasy? Or am I really going, am I being more realistic? What's really, what really speaks to the needs that I have? Um, Honorable mention, as we close up today, I have to say, um, I cannot uh, advise watching the seduction scene of Anne Bancroft uh, to Dustin Hoffman, but I will say that uh, an edited version of The Graduate is definitely always worthwhile uh, taking in Mike Nichols' incredibly frenetic 
uh, real roller coaster of a film uh, that really captures the zeitgeist of the 1960s, makes Dustin Hoffman a nice Jewish boy a star. And um, uh, again, it's a film that uh, its ultimate scene, of course, is about a wedding that sort of occurs, but doesn't really occur. Uh, I'm sure everybody's familiar with it, but it's just an incredible sense of how the finality of what we think a marriage is maybe isn't final. And uh, also perhaps a little bit of a encouragement as Dustin Hoffman uh, rushes to, to stop this wedding, you know, with Simon and Garfunkel music in the background about pursuing your dreams, pursuing your things um, and, and perhaps finding the love of, of the person that you really want, even when everything seems to be stacked against you. Sometimes you do have to put a crucifix into uh, into the church uh, doors and bar people and just escape in that bus so you'll be able to find some semblance of happiness. Uh, and sometimes that's sometimes what uh, you need to do to break out of that convention. So that's about, uh, that's our movies picks. Uh, obviously Hanukkah is coming up. And uh, we'll be back Hanukkah week, right, Yitzchok, with some Hanukkah tales from prison uh, with another episode of To Stir with Love. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 